on our mission uh, for the last few weeks of preaching a series of messages from Ecclesiastes. I think the first time that I've ever preached through it, and it's been quite a journey already. Junior Church, you're dismissed, sixth grade and down. Because of God's providence, working behind the scenes and on a plane so much higher than ours, we can't always see or understand or foresee how he's going to work or why he's working the way he does. We don't understand him very well. And it ought to be that way because if we could understand God very well, that would mean that he's a lower God than we thought he was. I want to read this passage of Scripture in chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, verses 9 through 12. The first eight verses in Ecclesiastes continues the thought from the previous chapters of the futility of chasing riches and pleasure and hard work and no work, laziness and trying to gain authority and power and self-glory on our own apart from following His will. And that's kind of the dividing line, maybe sort of halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to start to focus in a little different direction now. And so in beginning in verse number 9 we read, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. I wish you'd underline sight of the eyes and the phrase wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been been is named already, and it is known that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Referring to God, puny man trying to contend with God. Verse 11, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth, and underline that phrase, who knoweth? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who, and underline this phrase, who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Who can tell a man? What shall be after? Some questions are raised. And while there's going to be some answers to some of man's questions, there's not answers to all of man's questions. In the movie of 1944, Gaslight. Has anybody watched that? Gaslight? Oh, man, you got to go back and watch that. That's good. A woman, a young woman who has witnessed the murder of her aunt as a girl, later on marries a man who has a connection to that murder, but she doesn't know it. And he, trying to manipulate her, begins to dim the gas lights. This was in the days before there was electricity. And he dims the gas lights, and then when she mentions it, he pretends that the gas lights have never been dimmed. It's just her imagination. And then he does a lot of other manipulation and uh, trickery to persuade her that she's going crazy. He's gaslighting her. That's where the term came from. 
And so she begins to live in the illusion that she's the one that cra that's crazy and he is really the one who's creating it. She's not crazy at all. But he convinces her to live in that illusion. The devil tries to create illusions for you and me to live in. And if he can convince us that this illusion is the way we ought to be living, sometimes we are deceived and we buy it and we miss out on the reality that God has ordained for us. And in the search for the meaning of life that we have found here in, in Ecclesiastes, we see how many times Solomon and others have devised their own plans to live by rather than living by the will of God. And their quest, they thought, was one that would pay off in victory and success and happiness. And how have we seen it so far? And how has Solomon discovered it in his investigations? He's found out that these things of living life under the sun apart from the will of God is nothing but futility. It's an illusion. God has given us a free will. I, I'm not one of those who believes in the theology that God predestined every little thing to happen and so we have no control over anything. If we had that mentality, then surely we would sit down and, and just cry and say, no use doing anything else. I can't. My decisions don't matter anyway because God's already preordained everything and He's just pulling the strings and we have to go along with it. No, you have, you have freedom of choice. Now you can't thwart God's overall plan for mankind by your decision, but you do have latitude within your own life to make some decisions, some changes in plans. But when we set out to live under the illusions of things that are false, we end up changing how we could have lived under God's will. And there are consequences. We're going to call the message today. I've got two titles for it, so you can just pick the one you like the best. Illusions with conclusions. In other words, what forever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the other title is Get a Life. <laughs> Don't borrow someone else's from the illusion. Just get a life. A life, the only real life is that life that God has designed for you. The, living in the reality of His will. And there is a cause and effect relationship between how we see things, whether it's an illusion or reality. And there are unplanned consequences in how we live and how we decide. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would bless us, fill us with the Spirit of God. I pray that you'd help us to see through the illusions into the reality of your will. Bless us today for being here and just putting ourselves under your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Solomon's investigation into the meaning of life has wandered through the wilderness of futility of trying to find happiness in a hundred different ways besides being in God's will and living close to God. He begins to learn now, and he's beginning to teach us who read his book that there are consequences to the way we live. We do have freedom of choice, and we discover 
that following God's will is the only real way to enjoy life. You know what Solomon was looking for? Isn't that what everybody on the face of the earth is looking for today? They're looking for happiness. They're looking for joy. They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for satisfaction, for purpose and meaning in life. And the only way to find it for sure is in the will of God. Other things are illusions. For you and me, we discover meaning in this New Testament church age in which we live when we draw close to the Lord in daily living. Some people live under the illusion, just like they do by their New Year's resolutions, that they think, well, I'm really going to live for the Lord this year. Sunday comes, they don't even show up for church. How serious. I like what one preacher said. He said, I don't care how high you jump on Sunday. I want to see where you come down on Monday. In other words, we get real religious at times and other times in our daily living. We're not all that dedicated to the Lord. Can I just make a distinction here that I think is going to be important to us as we go through this this morning? Getting saved for you and me is easy. But following the Lord after you get saved is not so easy. Could you just think about that for a minute? Getting saved is easy. Now what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our salvation was not easy. But as far as us believing on Him and trusting Him and placing our faith in Him for eternal life, that's a pretty easy thing to do. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now, not of yourselves, so we don't have to endeavor and work and labor and struggle and beg for salvation. It's easy. Put your faith in Him, done deal. But wait a minute, there's a tomorrow. What are you going to do the day after you get saved? Are you going to make some changes? Are you going to live according to the principles of the Scriptures? And if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, it's not so easy but it's like that trip we talked about, driving halfway to a destination and saying, man, this is just too much trouble. I'm, I'm giving up. Well, what are you going to do? Hang out there halfway between? You know, when we start this Christian life, we have to realize, like Peter did, when a lot of the disciples in John chapter 6, along about verse 66, 666, that's scary. Along about there, a lot of the disciples, the Bible says, a lot of those who were following Jesus went back and followed him no more. And Jesus looked at his inner circle and he said, will ye also go away? The following got tough. Are you listening? The following got tough. And a lot of them turned back and Jesus said, will ye also go away? Peter, if he ever said anything smart in his life, I guess it was this. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He was smart enough to know the, the going's not easy. This is a difficult path to follow you. I'm saved. But following you is pretty tough. But we have nobody else to turn to. If you turn away from following Christ, even though the rough road gets rocky and resistant, you have no other place to go but turn to an illusion. Buddhism is an illusion. Islam is an illusion. All of the Christian cults are an illusion. Living life on our own terms and thinking there's no consequences, it's an illusion. 
If we're going to be blessed and have meaning, now get this, if we're going to be blessed and have meaning in life, if we're going to feel fulfilled, now I know we're not supposed to be emotional creatures, but God created us that way. And so we have to face the fact that we are somewhat emotional. And emotions enter in and sometimes we don't feel very saved or we don't feel very blessed. And that's the way the devil creates illusions. But if we're going to be happy and blessed and know that we have meaning in this life, then it is necessary that we follow the principles that he gives us. And here we're going to see at least two uh, main principles. And number one is this. To have satisfaction, we must accept reality above any fanciful and fleeting ideology. Does that sound complicated? Well, it's just this, that people have ideas that we're, we follow. And if it varies off the course from what God gave us, we're headed in a direction that's going to end up in an unmeaningful life. Everybody has preconceived notions, preconceived ideas. The world is full of it. Even in independent fundamental Baptist circles, there, there are preachers who have ideals in their mind that are not biblical. I've sat and heard preachers preach things, and I thought, wow, how did they come up with that? That isn't, that isn't the Bible. And if, if those who study the Bible and attempt to preach it to others every week can be deceived into following certain ideologies, ideas that they have conjured up in their mind or somebody else conjured up, maybe the devil did, and placed it in their mind, and they're following those things instead of the principles of Scripture, they're going to be way off course. And sooner or later, they're going to wake up and they're going to say, man, that didn't work. <laughs> and they're, what are they going to feel? Vexation and vanity. All is vanity. It's not what I thought it was. Look at this verse number 9 again in our text. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9. I had you underline, better is the sight of the eyes than what? Than the wandering of the desire. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I mean, if you're hungry and you can catch a bird and eat it and save yourself from starving, that's better than dreaming about maybe coming up on another bush that's got two or three or four birds in it and then not come to pass. You know what our society tells us today? Our culture tells us. News media tells us. Music tells us. Preachers even tell us. News media ideologues tell us. This is what you need to be interested in. And this is what you need to follow. Don't believe your own lying eyes. <laughs> but what does the scripture say? You better believe your eyes. <laughs> Instead of wandering off and chasing desires that, that have no merit, that have no biblical basis, we better stick to what we can see in the Scripture. Accepting what is real is better than chasing impractical ambitions, fairy tale visions, 
utopian dreams that just don't work. And we see it every day. What Solomon discovered was this. Just because you have a desire for something to be real doesn't mean it's real. People call things different things today and it's not real. Abraham Lincoln is said to have said this once. He said, if you see a dog with three legs and he calls the dog dog's tail a leg, how many legs does the dog have? It doesn't matter what he calls that tail, he's still got three legs, right? And people today will make up names and make up ideals and make up ideologies and make up dreams and visions that they would have you to follow, have our nation to follow, our world to follow, when it's just a a mirage, it's an illusion. (laughs) I've told this story before, but some of you hadn't heard it, and I like to hear it again, so I'm going to tell it. (coughs) When I was, when I was, I don't remember, I think I was probably six years old, I don't remember for sure. I remember, I grew up on a farm, we had an old long chicken house, and uh, my grandpa lived across the holler, just less than a quarter of a mile across the little valley there. And, and I got up on the chicken house one day and took some card, big pieces of cardboard and cut some slots in them to make me some wings. I climbed up a ladder, one of Dad's ladders. I was just a little guy. But I had dreams. I'd seen Superman. He could do it. And so I had ideas that I could put some cardboard wings on. I could sail across that holler and go over to Grandpa's house. I got on the chicken house, got on the edge of it, and I'm seeing myself as... Superman. Now I know I look a lot like him, but it wasn't real. (laughs) I get up on the edge of the chicken house and I sail off. You know what? I didn't get to Grandpa's house. (laughs) Straight down off the edge of that roof, nearly broke both of my ankles. Just because you want it to be real doesn't mean it's real. And there's a lot of things the devil throws at us today that gets our attention and gets our allegiance and they're only illusions. Living in a bubble of illusion will finally bust. And then what do you have? Nothing. Well, for instance, parents who prepare their children to play pro sports. I mean, we're talking about little kids and their parents have got these grand visions. He's going to grow up and be an NBA player or he's going to grow up and I'm going to train him. I'm going to invest time in him. I'm going to take him to all the games. He's going to be a major league baseball player. You know what the percentage of that really is? Well, you'd probably come near getting struck on the head by a falling meteorite. I mean, it happens, but it's mostly an illusion. And parents invest all of that instead of bringing them to church and to Sunday school and teaching them how to pray and teaching them how to be saved and teaching them how to live for the Lord. And when they get to the end of life, even if they made the pro sports, which they want 99.9% of the time, but if they did, that sport's going to be over when they bust up a couple of legs or arms and they get to be 35 years old and they're already too old for the sport. What do they do with the rest of their life? 
if we didn't teach them to live for God. Listen, I don't care what you teach. You can teach them to be a ballerina. You can teach them to be part of the Boy Scouts. You can teach them a lot of things. And not all of those things are necessarily bad. But if you do that, instead of teaching them to live for God, you have busted their bubble before they even get started. People get illusions in their mind and think this is the way to go. A lot of times young women, young girls, they think they've got to have a man. I mean, they're 13 years old, but they've got to have a man. <laughs> I get married right away. And so they grab at anything that wears a pair of britches. He's a jerk and he's a loser, but they think, well, once I get him, once I get him captured, I get him married, I'll, I'll bring him to church and he'll get saved and he'll live for the Lord. My watch told me I just fell and hurt myself. <laughs> Settle down, preacher. Where was I before you interrupted me? <laughs> she's going to marry him and she's going to change him. And what happens? 99% of the time, just like in the sports arena, this illusion gets bursted when she discovers he ain't going to church. He ain't saved. He won't even get a job and work. And support his family. In fact, he may not even stay in the house to raise those kids that he fathered. Illusions. If he looks like a loser now, the chances are a lot better you ought to drop him. I should have got an amen there. Let me see if this works better. <laughs> amen, preacher! That's good preaching! <laughs> see, if you won't do it, I'll just have to do it myself. What about the activists in our political system or wannabes? And they think that maybe they want to have socialism. They want to have communism. And yes, history shows that every stinking one of them has failed. But if this younger group can just introduce socialism and communism, this time it'll work. Yeah, I think the chances of being hit on the head with a meteorite would be greater. What about the, I'm talking about illusions. The biology deniers who dream up more than two genders. I mean, when I was in high school and junior high, we had a biology textbook that said there was a male and female. I just believed it. I guess I believed it because I lived on a farm where you had to have a bull and a cow to produce a calf. We didn't have anything in between. And if you ever tried to raise cattle, two bulls just won't do it. And yet, what do they do? They conjure up illusions within their rainbow coalitions and say, now this is what you ought to believe. Forget about the biology books. This is reality. Oh, no, it's not. We'll come to something else in the Scripture here in a minute I think will help you. There's some examples in my life and even in the Scripture of people who have made themselves into victims of injustice and they set out to change the world by creating illusions 
there's way more that meets the eye when you really look at it. Look at verse number 10. I'm going to show you this in our text. That which hath been is named already. Well, wait a minute. Who did the naming? Who made names up for things? Who made up the name for man? Who made up the names of the heavens and the earth and the stars and the sun and moon? Who made up those names? It was the Creator who made them. And yet there's people that want to change the names of things that God has already ordained. The Bible says God's already named them. And God has a name, He's assigned names to things that people reject today. Like, I grew up in an age where it was really unusual to see a couple who were living in the same house that weren't married to each other. I mean a man and a woman, not two males or two women. It was unusual to see anything out of the ordinary. We had a family where there's a man and a woman and kids. And it was just kind of understood. People didn't live together outside of marriage. If they did, boy, it would be the scandal of the whole neighborhood or the whole county or something like that. But yeah, today they've renamed this and they call themselves fiancés. A fiancé used to mean two people that are dating and going to plan to get married. Now, fiance is a new word to say, yeah, we're shacking up, but we want to give it a, we want to give it a euphemism that makes it sound a little better and not so shameful. <laughs> Preacher, why are you preaching on all this? Because God created reality and the devil creates illusions. Right. Calling things by different names in pursuit of happiness is just going to bring eventually discouragement, despair, and emptiness, an unfulfilled life. A lot of these kids are getting sex change operations. They're telling them, cut off your body parts and pretend, boys, pretend that you're a girl, wear a dress, and that makes it okay. And girls, you cut off your body parts and change yourself over, and you can be a boy. And in doing so, they mutilate their bodies and many times sterilize themselves where they cannot have children. And then when they do get mature enough to start making some real decisions, then it's too late. They've already ruined themselves. Because they followed an illusion, something the devil created. Reality is different. It's in God's will. Pretending there are no consequences to these decisions is futile and it will bring vexation and vanity and an empty life. In our, in our, script, in our scripture again, and let's see if I can find it here. Yeah, the last part of verse 10. Look at the last half of that verse. Verse number 10. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. As I said earlier, puny man trying to duke it out with God. <laughs> Do you know, you ought not to box with God. Your arms are too short. You ain't going to win, friend. 
You can box against God, but all you're going to do is come up empty and you'll have a life that seems futile in the end. And if you're a Christian, when it's all over, you will have missed the rewards you could have had by living in His will and experiencing what He had for you instead of following vanity and illusions. The world wants to lead Christians away from... Remember that song we sang? Holy, holy, holy. Uh, God said, be ye holy for I am, I am holy. And the devil wants to lead you away from holiness by telling you that's a Pentecostal doctrine or that's out of date. People don't do that anymore. I'm not talking about being freaky and weird. I'm talking about just living like the Lord and avoiding the sins of the world. And sometimes it may seem, as, as Christians, it may seem like we're a fish swimming upstream in a river against the flow. A river of worldliness against the flow. I'm, I'm saying that Solomon knew God, knew about God, knew God. David introduced him, his son, to God. But throughout a lot of his life, he kind of put God on the back burner and began to marry pagan women and pursue other avenues of pleasure instead of the will of God. And he wanted to go with the flow. You see, in the New Testament times, when we decide as Christians we want to go with the flow, I'm talking about the world's fads and fashions, the world's figures and ideology. We're, we're like a fish swimming upstream if we go against that. See, yours is not cool unless your hair has got 15 different colors in it. You're not cool unless you've got enough hardware in your face. You look like you were caught in a, an explosion in a barbed wire factory. You're not cool if you don't adopt the lingo of those who are going the way of the world. And, and it feels like a hard time. And you're like those disciples that Jesus said, will you go away also? They said, the going's too tough. We're done. We're going to go with the flow. And so many Christians end up with an empty life because they go with the flow of the world. The world will tell women, strip down, forget about this modesty thing. You're not, you're not a Puritan. Strip down and go naked or wire something so tight that you can see every wrinkle and crevice in the body. And it, it comes down to this. Everybody wants to belong to some group or some movement. Everybody wants to be accepted. Ah, but the question is, who do you want to be accepted by? Do you want to be accepted by the world and its standards or do you want to be accepted by Him? He's the one who said that immodesty was right for us. He's the one who said that drunkenness and gambling and, and worldliness is wrong and yet we think we can be a Christian and do all that and still be happy. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, He's going to work you over. When I got saved... I had lived a hellish life, and I, I thought, man, it's going to be difficult, you know, to be around those people that I used to hang around so much. It's going to be difficult to be around them because they're going to cuss and drink, smoke, and do all the things I used to do. And, uh, boy, it's going to be difficult 
to be around them. So what do I do? Do I blend in with them or try to have a few standards in life? What do I do? And I just finally decided after praying for a while, I said the best thing for me to do is just let the whole world know I'm saved, I'm a Christian, and, and I'm, not, I'm not doing any of that stuff anymore. I'm not going to those places with you anymore. I'm not drinking that stuff anymore. I'm not swallowing those pills anymore. I'm not going to those hell holes anymore. I, think, I thought if I just do that, then everybody at least know where I stand. <laughs> and I did. And you know what? The friends that used to go to those places and do those things didn't bother me. They didn't come around. Once I made it plain, this is how I'm living, they didn't bug me a lot. And you know why some of you, and some of you watching online, you know why you have such a horrible time trying to live for the Lord and stay out of the temptations, giving in to the temptations of sin? It's because you haven't let them know where you stand. And so they're going to keep, they're going to keep coming along and tempting you because they think you're just the way you used to be. Let them know. Hey, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Talking about living close to the Lord and the will of the Lord, saying no to the world, and just let them know where you stand. <laughs> Don't try to live the illusion because you can't hold hands with the devil and Jesus at the same time. That's maddening. It's vexation of spirit. Be on one side or the other. I wonder, I wonder if that's why John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Revelation, talked about the lukewarm Christians. And he said, I would spew them out of my mouth. They're just kind of lukewarm. Get hot or get cold. Get on or get off. Get in or get out. I think that's what God wants is to be a clear-cut line between his people and the world. You don't have to talk like them, look like them, smell like them, act like them, and follow them to their places. Well, modern culture is mostly living in an illusion. I don't know who I said this to the other day, probably more than one, but I said, what would our grandfathers, those that are my age, what would our grandfathers, what would our grandparents think if they could see the way the world is going today, they thought it was bad back then. They'd probably die of a heart attack immediately or think that we've all gone crazy. <laughs> Our society is living in an illusion. Nobody in their right mind would buy this bill of goods that is apart from the will of God. So, how can we be happy when things still don't go the way we expected? We say, well, okay, I sell out to the Lord and start living his life. I started tithing, and then I went bankrupt. Or I started tithing, and uh, now my bank account's empty. I started going to church every Sunday, and things still didn't work. I started praying, and my prayers didn't get answered. I started doing this or that or the other thing in the Christian life, and things still didn't turn out the way I expected. Well, that does happen. And you know why? Because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, and we can't figure out what he's doing. It seems that people want an answer to every question. And God's just not going to give you an answer to every question. Why did my baby die? Why did my mother get sick? 
Why did my husband leave me? Why, did, why this? Why that? It's, look, it, I don't think God's mad when we ask legitimate questions, honest questions. But that doesn't mean you're going to get an answer for everything you ask. So, how do we live in a world where God doesn't live up to our expectations? And He doesn't many times. I thought He would, remember Naaman? I thought, well, that was the problem, you thought. God doesn't always do the way things the way we thought. When I came to Searcy, 27 years ago to start a church, I thought we'd have 50 people the first year, 100 people the next year, and then it doubled every year until we got up to 10,000. And if everybody was here that was a member of this church today, we'd have the 10,000. <laughs> you know what? It didn't work out the way I planned and thought because God had different plans. I can't know exactly what his plans are. I can surrender to what I believe is his will, but then it's up to him to bring his plans to pass. And if God had given me 10,000 members to pastor, I'd probably be crazy as a Bessie bug and wouldn't know how to handle it anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm probably, not probably, but definitely better off going by God's plan than I would if I'd have got my own way. He knows what I can do. He knows what you can do. We live in illusions, but he doesn't. God does give answers, but he's not obligated to. So do we have to languish instead of laugh? Do we have to dread instead of dance in the Christian life? Do we have to worry instead of worship? No, we can have a happy Christian life even though God doesn't answer all of our questions and do things the way we expected. You know what he expects? And what he expects is more important than what we expect. You know what he expects? He expects us to trust him. Let me say it again. He expects us to trust him. And if we can trust him, we got our faith in him, we say, Lord, this didn't work out the way I expected, but it's okay. You're in charge then we can have a happy life. We can have a fulfilled life because we begin to see that letting Him be in charge is a lot better. You know, you've seen those bumper stickers, God is my co-pilot. You've seen the bumper stickers on people's car, car God is my co-pilot. You need to swap places. Life is filled with uncertainties. But life... God lets those uncertainties come. And you know why? One of the reasons he lets those come is because life is more interesting with uncertainties. I read the story of one guy who <laughs> took a vacation, took his family. They're going to Orlando, Florida. They got, they got a rented van and started down there. They get down the road a ways and they stop at a stoplight. And, and the car in front, the light turned green. The car in front of him didn't go. He waited a few seconds and finally he gave his horn a little love tap. But it wasn't just a tap. When he hit the horn, it locked. Man, it didn't quit. He, he couldn't get it to stop. And the car in front of him probably thought, man, this guy's having road rage or something. And so the horn just keeps blaring. And he drives on down the road. 
and uh, pulls over at a gas station. And he's, uh, he's frazzled. He doesn't know what to do because everybody's staring at him, you know. His horn's blaring, and they think this guy's crazy. And so he pulls in the gas station, and he sits there for a minute and tries to figure out, what am I going to do? He, he finally turned off the key, and the horn stopped. He said, okay, well, maybe that's it. So he started the van back up again. They start down the road. They get about a half a mile, and ah, man, he's running up behind people, and he's going down the freeway and passing people at 70 miles an hour, and they're all staring at him like, God, this guy thinks he owns the lane, you know? And so their whole trip, well, not the whole trip, but at least the first half hour or so of their trip is with a horn that's locked into a blaring mode and people are staring at them. He said, this was the most chaotic trip I ever took in all of my life. But he said, you know what? It didn't ruin everything. It was unexpected. It was an uncertainty. It's not what I planned or wanted. But he said, all of my kids and my wife, we all still laugh about it today. And we talk about the blaring horn vacation. <laughs> he said, that added interest to our vacation. You know why God lets uncertainties come into your life? Because Solomon would be right. Otherwise, your life would be dull and boring if you knew everything is going to happen and it all turns out just like you'd planned. Life would be dull and boring. And so what's the key? We have to learn to enjoy the uncertainties of life. Sometimes they're not happy things but you can still love the Lord and rejoice that He is in control. We learned that we just ought to trust God in all circumstances, every circumstance. Can you imagine John the Baptist? John the Baptist gave his life to go out into a hot desert under the burning sun and get prepared to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And as he begins to go out there in the wilderness and preach, a lot of those people didn't like him. <laughs> they hated him. And the Pharisees hated his guts. And so much so that, that he got put in prison awaiting execution. I wonder in that cell when he sent some of his disciples over to speak to Jesus after he'd been languishing in that cell for a while in a muddy, rat-infested dungeon pit. He's sitting in there wanting his disciples find out, is Jesus for real or do we seek another? And the disciples, get an, they get some words from Jesus, but they come back and tell John and, and the words that, he was given, he probably put up his hands and said, what does that mean? Yes or no is all I wanted to know. He went to the chop block and had his head cut off, never knowing why. He'd given his life to serve the Lord, willing to sacrifice everything. All he wanted was, are you the Messiah or not? And all he had was some obscure words. He went to heaven not knowing. Can you imagine you just want a few answers. God doesn't always give you answers. When Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, went to China, his wife and child died, and he's telling her, honey, as she's dying, he's saying, the baby's already dead. He's telling her, honey, your life is slipping away, and you know you're dying, don't you? She said, oh, no, I don't think so. I, I feel weary, but I don't feel any pain. He said, no, sweetheart, you're dying and you'll soon be with Jesus. And she said, well, 
I'm sorry. He said, oh, you're not sorry that you're going to meet Jesus. She said, no, oh, no, I didn't mean that. I, I just mean I hate to leave you here with all of this to contend with and me not here to help you. He knelt by her dying side and prayed. And he said, Lord, whatever your will is, I know that's the best. And she died. People who were standing by could not understand it. And he wrote in his diary a few days later, this is crushing to me. My heart is breaking. And yet I've never known peace with that heartbreak like I know right now because I know God is in it all. What are we saying? Other things are an illusion. Being in the center of God's will is reality. And when we surrender our will to His will and we don't demand answers, we can ask questions, but we don't do like a tantrum-throwing child and kick and scream and say, Why, God, why? He may not answer. Oftentimes doesn't. And things can happen in your life and you don't know why. But you can trust God. We love Him because He first loved us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be satisfied not even having all the answers. And Lord, knowing that you always know best for us and that ultimately it will work out for the best. I pray, Lord, that if there's some who are listening that are not saved, that they would lay aside their illusions of getting to heaven by some way other than trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross of Calvary. I pray that today they'd say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, just like the Bible says. I know I'm lost, but I, I'm placing my trust in You, Lord. I believe You love me. I believe You died for me. I believe You rose from the dead for me. And I'm placing my trust in You. I know it's the only way. I place my faith in You today for salvation. In Jesus' name. I pray that people would say that. I pray that Christians would say, Lord, I don't understand why everything happens the way it does. And even though my heart is broken about some things, I trust that you know why it happened and I don't have to know. But I know that you mean it to work out for the best in my life.